You ready to build some Legos now? <laughs> uh, so in case you were, in case you were wondering, Trevor uh, got accepted into the doctoral program at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, not only did he get accepted into the doctoral program, but uh, he also received the uh, Swanson Family Fellowship. Uh, so he's going to be bigwig in the percussion department there. And uh, when he comes back in three years, we, he's already told us we have to call him Dr. Landreth. So <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be fun. Um, have you ever heard somebody say something hurtful, something mean about somebody else or to you, to somebody else, and they follow it up with, look, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. I'm just telling you like it is. It's, it's very similar, like this is the modern day version of, bless her heart. <laughs> you know, whatever follows, bless his heart, is, is, gonna, be, is gonna be negative. It's not, it's not gonna be good. Nobody ever says something nice uh, after that. Uh, but we try to, like we say it, and then we try to, we try to couch this negativity uh, behind a fake sense of empathy, really. Like, we're, we're trying to empathize with their situation, but we're pointing it out, right? And so it's just a, it's a negative thing. And I think Christians can kind of follow this same pattern too. Like, we kind of do the same thing. We just, as Christians do, we just kind of church it up a little bit. And so we start out uh, the negative things that we're going to say like this. We'll say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not perfect, but I'd never do that. Uh, I'm not perfect, but I'd never wear that. Uh, we, we had an interesting thing happen. Um, I, think it was, I think it was last week. Andrea, we, we have a lot of people on social media asking if, is Trent talented? Is the rest of the family talented? And so Andrew decided to answer that with some clips from uh, worship last Sunday. And so uh, there's a little bit of Tristan singing, a little bit of Trevor playing the drums and stuff. And so she talked about that. And, and there were some very positive uh, comments on that post. There were also some not so positive uh, comments on that post. And um, I'm sure one of, them, I, I, one of them I'm thinking of in particular uh, I don't think it started out this way, but basically they were like, uh, I'm not perfect, but I would never wear those kind of clothes to church. Uh, something about <laughs> what Tristan was wearing. And um, we, like, we didn't have to say anything. There were plenty of other people who uh, came, to, came to our defense. So um, that was nice. And, and look, can we just kind of clear the air here and say, um, if you're a Christian, you're not perfect. I know it, you know it, everybody knows it. Uh, I, I wish we could just kind of do away with that. Like we, like, we don't even have to start any sentence out with, I'm not perfect anymore. We know, we know we're not perfect. Um, we sometimes try to project an image like we are as Christians. Sometimes we've got it all together, but, but that's not reality. That's not really who we are. Really, we are broken, we are messed up, we are dishonest, we are backstabbing, we are fakers sometimes. But we're fakers and backstabbers and messed up people who are trying to do our best to love and live and look 
a little bit more like Jesus every day. And, and that's like an up and down thing, right? That is not a straight line to get to look like Jesus. It is a rough, rough road. And so um, as we prepare to wrap up our time here at the Civic Center and move into our new home, I thought it would be a good idea to take a few of the weeks that we have left together and talk about some things that are just important to us as a church, as real life, the, the kind of things that we want to continue when we move into the new, the new building um, so that we have a firm foundation, like we kind of know who we are, we kind of know what we're about so that we don't suffer uh, like a sudden loss of uh, identity. And, and sometimes that happens when a church moves to a different location, a different building, something changes, and then all of a sudden there's kind of like this instability, like we don't know. Um, I, like, let me just tell you, I'm sure it's not going to happen here because this is real life. Uh, but I have heard stories about, about churches who um, meet in portable locations like we have been doing for the last 11 years, and then buy a building and move into it, and the very first Sunday in the new building, all those people who wore uh, bib overalls and shorts and stuff come to church in, in like dress clothes. And again, I'm sure that's not going to happen here. <laughs> But I've seen it happen before. And so there's like this idea that, oh, no, like now we're a real church, and so we have to act like it, and, and, and then we're going to have to start sentences like, well, I'm not perfect, but. Uh, so we went, by the way, I was thinking about this. Next Father's Day, Adam, instead of the whole golf look, I'm thinking uh, bibs with no shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Tidre and Lance showed up one Sunday like that, didn't you? <laughs> good times, good times. <laughs> oh, man. Um, at, at Real Life, uh, we're going <laughs> to kick off with our very first um, core value. And it's, it's, simply, it's simply this. It's right here. It's simply that we want to be real. And as a way to kind of define what that means, we, we say, put away the masks. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but we bought these backdrops at the very end of the COVID shutdown. And then uh, we showed up to church like the next Sunday, and there's this sign that says, put away the masks. <laughs> and several times people said, is, is this a crack at the, at the mask, the COVID mask? No, no, no. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with that. It's, it's really just about um, being honest about who we are as people. We don't want to pretend that we have it all together. We just want to be real about how you don't have to have it all together to be part of Jesus' kingdom. And, and we're poster children for this. We don't have it all together, but we are loved by this good, good Father. Uh, Jesus' entire ministry was about two priority things, two main things, the, the top two ethics of the kingdom of God, to love God by loving others, to love God and to love others. And, and he expressed those two ethics, he expressed those two foundational things by teaching people what we call the gospel of the kingdom. Or, or we may, might say um, he shared this by living the truth of what his kingdom was really all about. And, and how he expected us to live as a part of that kingdom. 
So we look to Jesus and go, how did Jesus live his life as a kingdom person, loving God and loving others? And then now we have this example that we can follow. So Jesus' kingdom was really all about how he expected us to live as a part of that kingdom. That's what his life on earth is, helping us to see how we're to live. And so today I want to start this building block series by looking at what Jesus said being real is all about. And I've actually found a chapter in Matthew that I never really looked at it this way, but I really think what's happening is Jesus is saying, look, um, there's a bunch of people, like the churchy Jewish people, who, who are faking it. They're following all the rules, but there really is no change of heart. And so he tells us, this is how to be real as a part of my kingdom, uh, to be a real follower of Jesus. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, uh, and we're going to go through the whole chapter and just kind of pick segments, but we're going to just move right through uh, section after section. So he starts out this way. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the things that I try to do when I preach is to, is to talk in the positive. And what that means is um, we, we all, like we face negative things all the time. People saying don't do this and don't do that. What I want to do when I preach is I want to say this is how we're supposed to live. So do this, do that, and, and then not talk about the negative. Like how come we can't like get over this. But today, I'm going to take a page right from Jesus, because in chapter 6, he lists the negative thing first, and then he talks about the positive, and so that's just how we're going uh, to do it today. Um, and, uh, and so here's what I think Jesus is saying in these first few verses of, um, of chapter 6. I, I think he's saying, don't be good for goodness sake. Now, I know that um, Santa Claus might disagree with that. But I want you to think about it this way. Um, so many times we do the thing that we think is right, but we do it with the wrong heart or the wrong motive. We do the thing that we think we ought to do because there's a reason we think we ought to do it instead of doing it for the right reason or the right, right motive. And so um, we might do it because we think that's what God expects us to do. And so we would say, well, as a good Christian, I'm going to do this thing. I don't really want to do that, but I'm going to do that thing because that's what God expects of me. We might do it because we're trying to get praise from, from God. Like, I want to do this because I want the pat on the back from God or from the preacher or from my, my parents or, or something. Um, we, might, uh, we might do it for a whole host of reasons that aren't really about simply living and loving and looking more like Jesus. And so when we do the right things, but we do it from a wrong heart or a, a wrong motive, we're, we're really presenting a false narrative about who we actually are. We're making people think we're the kind of person who does all those things, but really we're not. We're just doing it to get something in return or to get some feeling. And so those don't really present the real you. When we do the right thing, for the wrong reason, is it really then credited to our account? 
If we do the right thing for the wrong reason, is God up there clapping and going, good job, and he's like taking a little tick mark down. He's like, okay, uh, they got it, good job. When they get up, we're going to have a talk about that. Jesus tells us, I think in these first few verses, that we need to measure our motives. We need to consider why we're doing what we're doing. And so it says, don't be good for goodness sake. Instead, be good for God's sake. Right here, number two, be good for God's sake. There we go. Uh, And so don't just do it because you think it's the right thing to do or because you want praise or because you think it's expected. Like that, when Christians do that, when, when we do, think about, your, think about your kids in church. Uh, you know, I grew up at church. My dad was a pastor, and there was a way that I was expected to behave. I very seldom behaved that way. Uh, but there was a way I was expected to behave. And when we behave that way, when we do good just for the sake of goodness, goodness um, we're, we're, that, like, causes us then to rebel. And so if, if you're a parent and, and you have kids in church, um, let, let your kids be kids. Don't expect them to be perfect all the time. There's some grace there. It's a mercy that has to happen. Uh, now, there are times, like, we go, don't do that. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt somebody else. Don't, don't do that. But I think too often churchy parents, Christian parents, we kind of box our kids in, and then they're going to reach this age where they're going to go, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to pretend to do the right thing anymore. And so they rebel against that. So we don't want to be good for goodness sake. We want to be good for God's sake. We want to live and love and look more like Jesus because he loves us so much. Because we love God and we want to love others because that's what he's asked us to do as a part of his kingdom. And so we do that not because of what we get from God, but because what God did for us. And so don't be good for goodness sake, be good for God's sake. I think that's the first thing Jesus tells us about being real. Next, he tells us in uh, the next few verses of Matthew, verse 5, he talks about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, at the street corners. They do that so they can be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward. We heard that in the last passage. Truly, uh, or, but when you pray, he says, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Um, there are a lot of Christian people who struggle with prayer. We all talk about prayer in church. We all understand that we're, we're like, there's ex- expectation that we pray. You, you hear people like Jeff get up here and pray on Sunday morning and, and others, but a lot of church people struggle with prayer. Um, and, and they say, like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know the right words to say when I, I pray. I don't know how to start my prayer. Pretty much um, everybody knows how we're supposed to finish a prayer, right? How do you finish a prayer? That's pretty close. You got to have in Jesus' name, amen. Because apparently, if you don't say in Jesus' name, your prayer doesn't count. And God goes, man, that was a really good prayer, but you missed missed Jesus. 
I'm sorry, I can't, I can't fulfill your prayer. Like, um, I, I knew a guy many years ago in another church that I, that I pastored. He was just a good old boy, right? You talk to him, and it's just back and forth conversation. It's just really normal. But when he prayed in church, uh, he was full-on King James prayer. These and thou's, and, and he got them praying, and we're like, Amen. I mean, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I go, well, I don't, I'm not really sure what he said. <laughs> it sounded really churchy, uh, but I don't really know what he said. It was just so strange. But that was the, like the way he grew up. Like this is how you pray when you're in front of people. And so um, a lot of people struggle with I, this idea of, of prayer. And, and Jesus, says, Jesus says, look, it's, it's, it's not about that. <laughs> It's not about saying the right words. It's not about some kind of incantation. It's not about slipping in Jesus' name there just in the end to make sure that God hears it and you get what it is that you want. It's about having a conversation with God. Jesus says that the hypocrites, so, so people who pretend to be church people, they worry about how their prayer might sound to others. I don't wanna say the wrong thing I don't, want, I don't want somebody to hear my prayer and think I'm not super spiritual. Uh, I don't want to do it wrong. I want to make sure that God hears it and I get what I'm asking for. And so I, I think when we worry about how we pray, when we get caught up in, what, like if I'm, I'm saying the right words, am I doing the right thing, am I in the right posture, when we worry about our prayers, I think we're really saying two things to God. First, I think we're saying to God, God, I don't trust you to keep loving me if I do this wrong. God, I don't trust that if I mess up this prayer, you're still going to hear it. I don't trust that if I'm not in the right position, I'm not kneeling or standing or got my hands raised, or I'm not doing what I see somebody else doing, that you're going to still accept me at the end of the day. You're going to answer my prayer. So I'm way more concerned about doing it right instead of just having this right relationship. I don't know if you're going to keep loving me if I don't do it correctly. The second thing I think we're saying to God when we, when we worry about prayers like that is that is we're saying, look, God, talking to you isn't important enough for me to risk coming to you in humility, in, in weakness, in vulnerability. Like, God, I know I might say the wrong thing. I know I might not get it right. I know I might not sound like the guy next to me or at the end of the row or the guy I heard pray last night. Um, but I just want to talk to you. So I think as Christians, sometimes we can, be so, we can be so much more interested in getting the prayer right than in getting right with God in here. And that really is what prayer is all about, it's connecting to God and helping us realign our, our heart. We, we think often, I think, that prayer is about manipulating God into doing what we want or giving us the things that we need, or what, God, I don't have enough of this, or I need more of that. And so if I say the right prayer, and if I end it in the right way, then you're going to respond to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my uh, 50 cents or my dollar in, and then I'm going to get what I want from you. But that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about connecting with this Father who loves you and wants the best for you and wants to be involved in your, in your daily life. He wants to know what's going on and what's happening with you. And, and so I, I think what Jesus is really uh, saying here is um, don't pray like a professional. 
Don't pray like a, don't pray like a pro. Especially, I'll just say, if you're not, <laughs> don't pretend. Because that gets really crazy, like really, really quickly. Don't pretend to be super spiritual when you pray. There, there is not, yes, Jesus gave us a prayer. It's in Matthew 6. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. And sometimes we think that we have to follow that prescription. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think he was trying to teach people about who God was. And, and so to, to recognize that he's this kind of a father. In fact, he, he ends the verses we just read saying, look, God already knows everything that you're going to tell him. He already knows what you need before you even ask. Uh, and so, like, look, there are no magic words. There are no formulas that you need to know to pray. It's just about having a conversation with God. It's not a competition with other people or with yourself. It's just a conversation with your creator. And so we'll say um, in, in this section, Jesus is saying, don't pray like a pro, just, just pray like a person. Just talk to God like you would talk to your friend. If you call your mom or dad, if you call your friend every day on the phone and have a conversation about here's what's going on, here's what's happening with the kids, here's what's happening in my job, that's what God wants to do. He just wants to talk with you. One of the things I love the best that we hear in the very opening verses of the Bible is that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And what do you think they did? I mean, Adam watched God create every animal and just pop them out of nothing and, and form the trees in the Garden of Eden. Like, he watched God do all this stuff. He knew that God saw everything and knew everything and had, was all-powerful. And yet, I think when they walked in the garden, God said, how was your day? What'd you plant? <laughs> How'd it go? How are you and Eve getting along? Uh, I, I think they just had a conversation. And so we don't have to pray like a professional. We need to pray like a person. And so um, how should you pray? Jesus actually tells us there in that passage. How should you pray? I think there's three things to remember. Uh, the first one is just pray like you're in secret. And, and he's not saying you shouldn't pray in public. Like, that, like that's part of my job, right? I'm the public prayer. When we go out to eat or we go to dinner, or there's some big family thing. Guess who gets to pray? Me, all the time. Uh, it's, I guess what I signed up for. I'm the only one who knows how to do it and say in Jesus' name, amen, at the end. And so, um, I've, so he's not saying don't pray in public. He's just saying, look, don't pray for public praise. Do, do that in secret. This is about you and, and God. And so um, pray, like have this quiet time, this private time that you can pray um, to God. Secondly, he says, pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. Don't use a bunch of words. Don't worry about getting the, right, the words right or whatever. Don't worry if you mess up. Don't, don't worry if, you, if you're praying in bed and you fall asleep. What better way to fall asleep at night than to talking to your creator, talking to your father about your day? I, I just think that's so, like it's just relaxing and cool. Don't beat yourself up about that stuff. Don't beat yourself up when you're praying and you go, and squirrel. And you, and do you do that? I do that all the time when I pray. I'm like on one thing, and then I'm like all of a sudden, and I go, what was I, I that was really important. What was I praying about? I don't even remember. Uh, and now I'm on to something else. And so uh, Jesus said, look, the hypocrites worry about the words they're saying. They get the right words. They got to have all these flowery words. They got to have enough. They got to say the right things in the right way. And, and Jesus says, look, when you pray, just be sincere to God. Just, just tell him really what's on, on your heart. It's not about the words. It's not about the right way to get them right. Um, and, and I think the, the third thing is that we pray knowing God 
sees you. I, I think that's, that's what he says. In the, in the very last verse we just, we just read, he talked about how God already knows everything that you need, which means God sees you. He knows your situation. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows already you don't have enough money in the bank for the month. He knows already there's a struggle in that relationship or something's going on with your kids. He knows all that. And, and so we don't need to, to pray like we're telling God. What, like we need to pray like this is a loving father who knows the situation and wants to help. That's the kind of way that we pray. So um, I think he just wants to have a conversation with you. And so if prayer has been a hard thing for you in your life, I hope you just try it. I hope that, that you just, that you, in secret, you can just pray to yourself, maybe in the car or whatever, in the morning when you, when you get up, that, that you do it sincerely, like just whatever's on your heart, you just let that out, um, you let that out to God. And then you, you pray knowing God's watching, God sees you, he knows the situation that you're in. Next thing that um, Jesus talks about is kind of this idea of how sometimes we like to be the center of attention. Look at the next uh, few verses, 16. He says, when you fast, so he's moving, moving on um, in, in this. The, the things that you do in, in public, uh, helping the needy and whatever, and then he talked about prayer. Now he's on to this discipline of fasting. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Well, we're beginning to see a pattern here, like these things that are done by people just for other people to see them. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. That's the third time now we've heard that. When you fast, instead, anoint your head, wash your face. He said, um, get dressed up so nobody knows that you're doing this. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and then your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me tell you why he says this, because there was a practice of the religious leaders in that day that when they were fasting, and they had these um, specific times during the week and during the month that they would fast, and when they were fasting, they would get up in the morning and they would um, let their hair get bad and their clothes ratty and they'd put ashes um, on their head. And, and it was whole, like this whole big kind of makeup routine almost that they would do so that every person they came in contact with that, th with that day would know that you're fasting, aren't you? Yep. Uh, I fasted on Tuesday and Thursday and today. Like, I, like I'm fasting, I'm good at this. That's kind of what was going on. And so instead, Jesus says, look, when you fast, um, get dressed like normal so that nobody knows what, what you're doing. Now, if, you, if you're concerned about fasting and, and you think just like, like going fast, it's, it's not about going, going fast. Um, fasting uh, is a spiritual discipline that makes you keenly aware of your humanity and frailty. So fasting is, is about, like in, in Bible times, it's particularly about food. So they would fast from food. It means they would not eat for a specific period of time. And so fasting really highlights our humanity by making us aware of how desperate we are for things that sustain our bodies, like food and, and water. And remember Jesus, uh, his ministry in the, in, the, um, in the Holy Land, there's desert climate. Water was a big thing. So this was an important thing. Um, Marty Solomon, a, a guy I've been uh, following for a while, 
says fasting isn't a magic key that like forces God uh, to, um, forces God's hand in, in whatever we're asking for. Like sometimes as Christians, we, we're like, I need a specific answer for God about something that's going on. And so I'm going to fast and then God has to answer me because I've gone without food. And that's not really how fasting works. What fasting does is it humbles us because we get hungry and we begin to realize how desperate we are for this physical stuff. And, and when we realize that, then we can kind of turn that and we can go, God, I, I want to need you like I need food. Or, or maybe we could say it this way. I want to need you like I really need a Wi-Fi signal right now. Because it brings it into the real world. Like I need you like I need to check my DraftKings score, whatever. Does anybody do that? I don't do that. Uh, or Twitter feed or, or whatever it is. So fasting is to say, God, there's this thing I need in my life, and I'm going to go without it to, to, to reveal my own weaknesses so that I can then rely on you in, in, a, greater, in a greater way. And so um, whatever you fast from, whether it's food or drink or technology or, or whatever, it's a reminder of how frail we are. And then in that frailty, it's an opportunity to pray, which we just learned about, and ask God to help us to hunger for him instead. God, help me to crave you like I crave this other thing over here. And so what Jesus uses uh, fasting to demonstrate about his kingdom is that we shouldn't use spiritual practices to draw attention to self. We shouldn't do these things that are supposed to bring us closer to God to draw attention to self and say, look how spiritual I am. Look at how good I am. It's not a display of your personal spirituality that you fast. It's very, very much like doing good deeds, like he talked about in the first few verses, where we think we can have leverage over God. That God, I did this good thing, and now you owe me. Um, Jesus is saying that these guys were using spiritual disciplines like fasting to kind of have leverage over other people and say, look how spiritual I am, you should honor me because I'm, I'm such a good Christian. But that's not really being real about who we are, which is, by the way, what spiritual practices are supposed to do. They're supposed to help us realize how real our situation, how humble we are in our situation. Spiritual practices aren't supposed to draw attention to self, they are meant to draw your attention to your Savior. So it's not about getting the attention of other people onto me. Look at how spiritual I am. It's really about saying, God, I need you. I need you every day and everything. Like, I can't get through it. And so um, fasting and other spiritual disciplines, like this silent self-sacrifice that kind of realigns our hearts to follow after God. And we want our hearts to uh, align with God's spiritually, and we want our hearts to align with God's physically in uh, like earthly things too, um, things like our money, which is what he talks about in verses 19 uh, to 21 in Matthew 6. So let's look at those. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Here. Oh, there we go. All right. You've heard this one before probably. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So here Jesus, I think, is warning us not to seek stuff because it won't satisfy us. It can't, it can't save us is what he's saying. And think about, um, you think about it, what, what is the point of having treasure? Why do we want treasure? Why do we want to have money in the bank accounts and 401k and retirement and all of those uh, Roth whatever stuff? I don't even know what all that is because I'm a preacher. My wife knows, but I don't know. That money is not my strong suit. Can I just, do you know that already? Not where I'm at. Uh, so, like, she takes care of that. Um, and so, w- what's the point of all this stuff that we have? I think the point of treasure about having all this stuff is so that, that I have the means to provide for myself and my family and my friends in tough times. I want to have enough in my retirement account so that I know when it comes time to retire, I'm set. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to rely on anybody else. I can take care of myself to provide for my needs, my family, my friends, whatever it is. And so we look at treasure to save us, like something that's going to save us in in tough times. Um, But we've heard the stories, right? We, We know about the bread lines in Russia. We lived through COVID. Like you... You can't eat gold when you have no bread. They, they do not equate to the same thing. And you can have all the gold in the world, but if you don't got no bread, it's like it doesn't do you uh, a lot of good. And so I think that's what Jesus is pointing us to here. He says, um, invest, uh, invest in God, don't invest in, in gold. Um, who cares about how much, again, how much you have if you don't have what you what you really need. And so Jesus really here, I think, is saying, don't stockpile stuff. That's what he's saying. Don't stockpile stuff. Don't get so much, don't hoard it. Don't get so much stuff that you say, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't need God. I can take care of myself if tough times come. Don't stockpile stuff thinking that it will satisfy your need for more or that it might save you in times of trouble because it won't. When your world comes crashing down, there's some thief at your door, you're not gonna be praying to, for help from your stuff, you're going to be praying uh, for help from God. And so if we're not supposed to uh, 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 stockpile stuff, we're supposed to stockpile, I think, heavenly treasure. But then we have to ask the question, what is heavenly treasure? Um, I think, and I could be wrong, it's been known to happen, but I think what he might be talking about instead of stuff is um, souls, People are God's most important creation. It's, it's people. It's humanity. They're, they're not only, we're not only created in the image of, of God, um, but it's, it, we're who he promised eternity to. We're the ones who were created forever and a forever relationship with him. And so he's saying, don't stockpile stuff, stockpile, stockpile souls. And stockpile souls by just um, sharing your faith, by living kingdom values. And, and really what I think Jesus is saying is use your stuff to get souls. Use your stuff to win people to Jesus. Use what God has given you to then bring other people into the kingdom. And, and while we're um, talking about uh, money, it's one of those things that makes us more anxious than just about anything else in our lives, right? Money is just one of those things that causes us a lot of anxiety. So what did Jesus say about um, uh, being anxious? Let's look at the last section. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Oh, my goodness. What you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father, there we go again, knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. The last lesson um, for today from Matthew 6 probably rivals uh, the one before, this treasure in heaven idea for the thing that we struggle with the most. Um, And really, I think this idea of not being anxious is uh, directly connected with uh, this treasure idea that Jesus was talking about. Because what makes us more anxious than anything? It's it's our money. It's our treasure. It's the stuff that we have. I got to worry about it. Once I get it, is somebody going to take it? Is something going to happen? And I'm going to have less of it. And so it makes us very anxious, feeling like maybe we don't have enough to live, to survive, to, to move on. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money in the bank. We don't have enough stuff. And so we use earthly treasure to get things that Jesus mentions here. Food, water, clothes. And uh, again, remember Jesus lived in a desert region. Clothes, water, food, that those could be urgent necessities. Today, we might replace those with things like um, rent or maybe the right kind of clothes. Uh, look, I, I remember uh, third grade, White City Elementary School, and we went clothes shopping and my mother brought, bought me plaid tough skins. You remember those from Sears? I looked hideous. Everybody else came to school that year wearing Levi's, 501 button fly, little tiny jeans. And I had plaid tough skins, which is why I have a lot of emotional issues. Uh, I, I think. Um, so <laughs> we might say today, like rent, we might say the right kind of clothes, um, or maybe what we say instead of food and, and, and water, like gas for the car. We need these, like these are urgent needs that we have to fulfill. But I think if we boil it down, what Jesus is saying here is that we shouldn't be anxious about urgent things. We shouldn't be anxious about things that we consider urgent things, things we think we need right right now. Like most of us, we have a hunger pain, and what do we do? Right to the fridge. Skip, like just, we can go to the fridge, and there's food. If I have a hunger, I'm going to go to the fridge. There's going to be food. I'm going to open the cupboard. There's going to be something I can get, something I can make, something I can, I can drink. Uh, there are some of you, not my wife, but some of you out there, when the car Bill, I think, is probably this way. When the, when the gas gauge gets to half full, oh, my goodness, I'm going to go to the gas station, fill up. Andrea plays a game. How close can I get without, uh, without stopping? Like, like, it's crazy. But some people, you get a half a tank in the car, and, and it's like, I gotta, like, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. This is an urgent need. I've got to get the quick trip and uh, get some, some gas. Uh, I, I need a Wi-Fi signal, and I don't. It's an urgent, urgent Need. I think Jesus is saying that we need to reorient our lives, not about what's urgent, but around what is important. Not about the urgent, but the important. Things like 
loving God and loving others, like doing good for God's sake, like praying just to God and having a conversation with him, like drawing attention to our Savior instead of ourselves, or like stockpiling souls for the kingdom. We shouldn't be anxious about urgent things. Like urgent things, Jesus says, have a way of working themselves out, in part because God knows you, you need those things. And so he's working behind the scenes. Um, we can be anxious, though, about important things. Don't be anxious about the urgent. Be anxious about the important things, things that God himself would be concerned about. And, and what is God concerned about? What things should we be anxious about? What kind of things should concern us? Well, the Bible tells us, I, I think, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, God isn't slow to fulfill his promise. Some people think he's slow, but he's not. Some people are waiting and going, God, when are you going to show up? You haven't showed up yet. God's not slow. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance through King Jesus. So when we practice being real in our lives, truly seeking to love God and love others, what we're doing is we're putting God's kingdom first. And Jesus said, when you do that, when you seek first the kingdom of God, that God's going to give you all that other stuff. Like God's going to be aware of the things that you are in urgent need of, and he's going to show up and tick those things off the list. But he'll also bring, he says, even more people to us, to his church and to himself, because he can trust us to lead them to him. And so we're, if we're going to see this new building that we're going to move into be used as in God's kingdom powerfully, we've got to see being real with the people around us as a building block that will help us love others like Jesus. And so this week, the challenge is this. Be vulnerable. Be open to how God might want to use you to help every person possible in your life. And just be real with him with each other and with those you come in contact with. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us again. Thank you for this day. And help us, God, just to be real in our lives. Look, so many people outside the walls of every church have an idea about us as Christians. And, And number one on that list is they think we're hypocritical. Because so many times we present a version of ourselves that is not real. So help us to to be real. Not jerks, but just real. And and go be, be real about who we are, about our failures. But honestly, really, God, just be real with you. Humility is just recognizing the truth about who you are and about who we are. And and then as we're real with you, as we're real with each other, as we're real with the world outside of this, they'll see how you carry us through difficult times as we rely on you, not perfectly, but consistently rely on you. And and then they'll see that, and and they're going to want it. They're going to want that stability that comes not from having everything go perfectly, but but having someone in, in your corner. And so, God, um, just help us to put away those masks that we wear in church, outside of church. Help us to be real with ourselves, with you, with those we come in contact with. We ask this, God, 
that you would bless us this week and you'd bring every person possible to come to know you through your son, Jesus. Do that through us in Jesus' name.